Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about the Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head notch himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Paul, it's good to see you, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Today, we're joined by our Amiga, Anna Huslinski. For those of you who don't know uh, Anna or haven't heard of her, she is an attorney in uh, our law firm who handles a whole range of uh, legal matters for our dental practice clients, including practice sales and acquisitions, employment agreement preparations for employers, employment agreement reviews for associates, and much, much more, Paul. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to talk with Anna about another topic that she frequently uh, deals with and works on, which are... Uh, employee handbooks and uh, related HR issues. It's a hot topic. I like it. Yeah, it is. I think there's a lot of things that uh, I think people are going to kind of uh, come away from uh, with like the aha moments uh, from some of what Anna has to share, which kind of came up over a a lunch that we had not too long ago. We were kind of brainstorming, just talking about what's going on in the office. And we're like, yeah, you know what? We have to get Anna on there. It's nice you guys have lunch, Dennis. We don't have lunch. We're not allowed, but you know, I like (laughs) the lunch. We don't do it frequently, you know, (laughs) honestly, you know, uh, but every once in a while, we make ourselves do because it's good to get together and collaborate. So uh, some fun stuff uh, to know about Anna. She's the only non-Temple law grad in our Philadelphia office, Paul. Uh, she went to that other school in the area on the main line. It's called... Uh, yeah, yeah most only they won uh, two national championships in just like the past few years. Uh, what is Miami it? Miami too, Villanova. Oh yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. So successful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> Margaret Bowles actually was a North Carolina grad. Another great basketball program. That shot must but, have hurt her there, you yeah, know. But she's not. Yeah, she's not in uh, in Philly uh, all the time. So Anna is the lone non-Temple person, and we never make fun of her <laughs> for that. I promise. Uh, Anna's also uh, an avid runner. Has competed in several marathons. She's very involved uh, in community uh, projects and uh, uh, organizations, uh, which uh, we'll chat with her briefly about. And uh, now, without further ado, here's Anna Huslinski. Welcome, Amiga, and thanks for being on the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here. That's good, dude. Thanks, Anna. We start off with hard-hitting questions, and since we both live in the wonderful uh City of Philadelphia, let's say it's Friday uh, night and you're going out for nachos. I'm going out for the fifth time for nachos that week. Uh, <laughs> where would you want to go and what's your favorite nacho topping? Yeah, I think my favorite is probably a local restaurant to me in my neighborhood, Fairmount, the Art Museum oh, nice. area. Uh, La Calaca Feliz. Oh, that's a good one. I've ever I like been. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I love spicy food. I love all kinds of nachos with kind of quirky toppings. But they're known for this giant plate of nachos that they do short ribs on top, oh, which like is that. delicious. Short rib, I like that. That's yeah. decadent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. You go home really <laughs> sleepy after. <laughs> hey, and so Anna, you know, so after the sleepy nachos, so you uh, tell everyone, you know, what are some of the things that you do to kind of take care of yourself? I know that, as I said, you're you've run some marathons and uh, very uh, uh, exercise and, and uh, oriented. So 
What, uh, what do you yeah. do to keep things going? Well, you know, I have to run a lot to run off giant plates <laughs> yeah. of short rib nachos <laughs> on Friday nights. Um, yeah, I am a marathon runner. I've completed uh, three, I think, at this point, three full marathons and a couple half marathons, mostly in Philadelphia. Um, so I like to run. I love to do yoga. I mostly love to spend time outside. So any chance to go hiking with my dog, skiing in the Adirondacks or out west, kind of my favorite activities. Cool. And I'm going to ask this, Anna, because Rob only brings on these people on the show. What time do you get up in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) I will say this winter, I was really severely hibernating. It was just so dark and cold. I, I didn't get up very early, but... Now that the sun is up a little better, I'll sometimes get up at five to get a morning yeah. run in <laughs> before I go. What's well, that? Four a.m. So join yeah. the band, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah. to the other yeah. side. If it makes you we feel welcome better, you. Lately, yeah. it's been six because I'm. I look outside. That's just and it's lazy. Cold so yeah, yeah, I like that. So don't want to go out. Yeah, Rob's the four a.m. crew. It's like, I know. You know. <laughs> Paul's seriously outnumbered. That's why he's asking <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. that's on the show now. <laughs> Sorry. He's looking for uh, some uh, some confidence. It's just a seven a.m., seven thirty a.m. You know, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> And so, Anna, uh, you are definitely the uh, the good person in our, our office that Thank does you. lots of good stuff here in the community. Uh, so tell uh, tell folks just about some of the things that uh, that you're involved in uh, with your community uh, work. Sure. Yeah, I um, I think it's really important to be involved in the community. I know that was something that was talked about on the on a recent episode with Jamie Amos too. Um, I I'm on the board of a local urban farm that provides programming to Philadelphia youth. It's called Urbanstead. It's a great organization, um, and it's a nice place to go and play in the dirt when I have some free time. I also, when I run marathons, I usually try to raise money for a cause like the Alzheimer's Association. And I also have been volunteering since law school at a legal clinic in the Germantown section of Philadelphia um, that provides free legal services to the low-income community things that they can't access or wouldn't have the ability or cost to access otherwise. Cool. That's really good awesome. stuff. Yeah, Thanks. we're proud of Anna. That's, Thank uh, you. Good things. Good person. So uh, employee handbooks. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, if I go and uh, call up my payroll company and they send me an employee handbook and uh, pre-populate the, uh, the cover page with the name of my practice, I'm a dentist, uh, that's all I need to do, right? <laughs> Well, I would say that it probably takes a little bit more work than that. Um, You know, when it comes to handbooks, it can be a tricky thing. They can definitely do a lot of good for your office. And it's funny that this even comes up because I was just Googling earlier today and all the top hits of articles are every single business should have an employment handbook. Well, I would say that's could be true, but with a major caveat that a, ban- a really bad handbook is probably worse than having no handbook at all. So if you just take a handbook that's pre-populated, it's not tailored to your office, not tailored to your state and all your local laws that might apply, that can really, in some ways, just be worse than having no handbook at all and could actually get you in trouble in the long why, run. Why do you say that, Anna? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, the first thing is that if you're not applying policies as they're reflected in your handbook or vice versa, then, you know, that's going to cause some inconsistencies in your office. The whole point of having a handbook is to set the guidelines of your office and get everyone on the same page, set expectations so people know as their staff members what they should do when they get hired and then throughout their tenure at your job. The problem so, is so that would be a good handbook. So, right. yeah, well, so what is a, a quote unquote a bad handbook? Right? Yeah. So I think a bad handbook would you know one that doesn't really reflect the local, federal, and state laws that might apply to you. Um, it would be inconsistent with potentially with your actual policies and how you actually do things in your office. An example would be you know if 
your handbook says that someone should leave a detailed voicemail if they're sick to call out and should do so as soon as possible. But if you let people, you know, not say anything at all, then you're not applying things consistently and it's just going to cause confusion in the long run and make it harder for you to apply those policies down the road. Right. And I think sometimes people don't realize that, you know, you have to, well, they should, but treat all of your employees the same way. So you can't have 75% of your office not following policy and then try to hang your hat on the policy when it comes time to fire the one person. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A handbook can also be a very useful tool if you're in a situation where you have to discipline somebody and if they're not following the policies. It becomes a problem for you, however, if you aren't treating employees consistently. And a lot of times the worst case manifestation of that is where you have a potential claim for discrimination or something like that, where an employee can say that you've been treating me differently from everyone else. And therefore that's related to some sort of discrimination because of my gender, because of my disability, whatever that case may be. I've learned a lot uh, from uh, Rob over the years and it's simple, you know, just to bring in the, you know, whether it's an employment agreement, like whenever you have to take these things out, it's usually not in a good, good scenario. And as a practice owner, I find them helpful for onboarding people because it just sets expectations for what happens in your office. However, you know, we just look at me of the, you know, I'm, I'm a medium age dentist. I mean, there would be nothing on Facebook when I, when I started as a practice owner. Now that's a whole thing, you know, social media. So updating them just helps you kind of keep your office culture uh, in line in a good way. You know, I think people like guidelines and expectations so they know what to do. Oh, I was going to say, whenever I go to a new place, I'm always worried I'm doing something wrong, right? Like a country club or when Rob takes me to a nice place, I'm like, should I not wear my shoes in here? Is this a no-shoe place or shoe place? I'm not sure. I feel like like it's a shoe place, but no one has their shoes on, right? Shoes can be a very complicated part of the whole process. Are these sneakers or not sneakers? I feel like, you know, I can't run on these, but they're sneakers. So like, you know, I I just think that if you think of it from you, you, I know you guys deal with a lot of uh, big, big issues and, you know, uh, help your clients out from a legal perspective. I can just add from a, you know, running a dental circus daily. Uh, it just helps keep people uh, aware of the stuff that you want, want done. And uh, I think it, the one time when you hire a new team member is the time they're really going to read it. Right. So right. And that's why I just think what you're saying is so important to make sure it's, it's reflective of what you're doing. Yeah, I would say 100% what you're saying. And related to that, too, you know, if it gets, it also helps answer questions. So they don't have to run to you every time they have a question about policy, which Mm -hmm. is inefficient and takes your time away from treating patients. Um, And on top of that, like you said, everyone, I think, has experienced, at least at some point in their life, the unknown of coming into a place where they're not sure what the protocol is. And if you've experienced that in a new job, it can be a little concerning and you don't know who to talk to and how to approach the issue. So it's a good way to get everyone on the same page. Like you said, set those expectations and and get everyone sort of on the right path from the beginning. Totally. Right. So when you were talking about building the office culture, like what kind of things are you you talking about in in that regard, Anna? Sure. So I think there's, you know, certainly a lot of things that you should probably must cover in your handbook, the Mm -hmm. legally mandated things. But as part of building an office culture, the handbook is just one tool in your toolbox. There's a lot of other things that might not be appropriate to just put in a handbook and assume that it's going to fix everything in there. Um, it's where you can address all sorts of guidelines with you know, dress code, um, codes of conduct, what somebody should do, like I said, if you have to call out sick, what are expectations in that regard. But a handbook also isn't going to fix every single situation with personnel. And in that regard, you know, you have to kind of use this as one tool and make sure that you're, like we said, enforcing it appropriately and fairly with everybody. And then also 
you know, addressing things in the handbook that might not be obvious and talk to your employees about them as part of this process of building a better office culture. Right. Yeah. So it's just like it just can't just exist on the shelf. Right. right. It's not this like super magic document that yeah. sort of radiates off the off the shelf and cures all all problems. Yeah, I think a there's a thing. absolutely there's this misconception. I think that, you know, when we lawyers were pretty fancy people and when we draft documents, it's going to fix all things. But it that's not what a document can do or should do. It should be something that you can rely on and point to, like we said, in times of discipline, in times when you need clarity for things. But if you just think that you're gonna put this out there and then it's going to magically you know, address every concern that ever came up, then that's not really the purpose of the document. Yeah, and I think what you said a few minutes ago too is really important for people to, to, to understand is you, know, you have to treat all of your employees the same way. And if you try to <clears throat> single people out to sort of trump up reasons to, to fire them or to selectively enforce certain things, you're going to see that <clears throat> come back to haunt you. Like I've seen clients over the years who have been sued for various discrimination. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll pull out the personnel file and, you know, in discovery, please right. produce the personnel file for this person. And, you know, either there is none, which is bad, right? Which means there's been no one's written right. up for anything. They say, well, we didn't fire them for discriminatory purposes. We fired them because they're doing a lousy job. Well, show us the, uh, right. you know, in their employee manual, or I'm sorry, in their employee uh, file where they've been reprimanded or they've, they, you've discussed with them that this is a problem. Well, well there is nothing. Well, then, right. you know, and even if for people that, that truly uh, were not, dis- none of these people that I'm talking about either, I don't believe, did this for discriminatory right. purposes. These were people that were not good employees, but they failed to document it. And I think when you don't, uh, when you don't, that's sort of like a part and parcel with not following the handbook. You know, if the handbook says these are the things that you should be doing, and you, you don't do them, then it just looks like you're trying to uh, to make something up. After and I, I also feel as you know, the a seasoned or immediate, exhausted practice owner, and I look at like having all these different team members who've come and gone for good reasons, other times not so good reasons. It just helps you in this weeding out process because you set these expectations, and then sometimes team members will voluntarily weed themselves out of your office, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, they just go somewhere else to to work. It could be as simple as we have two offices with big teams and we have certain protocols to try to manage it and maybe they're better off at a small office. You know, it, it's not even, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but I was going to ask you, uh, Anna, when you were, you know, tales from your uh, dramatic world of torts, briefs and brief torts, um, uh, when you see something come about or you, Rob, who is enforcing the rules of the employee manual most? The office manager, the dentist? I mean, just to set you up, what I share is like, you know, a lot of times since the dentist is seeing patients all day long and sometimes he goes in at 8.30 and picks her up at 5 o'clock and then, you know, uh, picks her head up at 5 o'clock, it's hard to monitor a lot of these things. So I'm just, I'm actually just totally curious who's monitoring or enforcing most of this. Sure. I think that's a really good question. And honestly, that depends a lot on the culture of the practice. I mean, the first thing is, is that it's really important you know, we're talking about this handbook as something to give guidelines and set expectations for the employees, but it's equally important for the employer and whoever is expected to enforce this handbook and those policies on behalf of the employer to know what that handbook says. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a client and I've looked at a handbook they have and I say, hey, did you know that this was in your policy or this was in your handbook? And they would say, no, we've never done that. 
Yeah, and it's, right. you know, going back to what Rob said earlier is a situation where they just got a form of handbook and passed it out to everyone and they never really read it. So, I mean, the first thing is, I think that's part of this office culture is that people really need to decide who's going to be responsible for enforcing this thing. And if it's going to be an office manager, if some sort of you know supervisor is going to be the first line of defense, then you need to make sure that they 100% understand what the policies are. They're prepared to give the same response as the dentist who owns the office. And then likewise, that they're also trained how to handle these things when we get into the territory of something that could come back and get you in trouble legally if they didn't respond appropriately to the request. I mean, it's like a, you know dentists who have no leadership and management training bestow upon their office manager to be the leader and manager with no training either. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You right. know, it's, and it's, well, that's what David Harris talks about yeah. that, you know, whether or not I figure it's the delegation or, uh, what's the, uh, what does he contrast that with? But basically, I mean, you can delegate responsibility. It doesn't mean that you just totally, you know, walk away and have nothing right. to do with it. And, and where we see the, the offices and the people that have problems on it, I think is where, you know, they just don't want to have anything to do with this. You know, it's right. like you can put somebody in charge. You put your office manager in charge of doing this. But that just doesn't that doesn't mean that ultimately you still have to pay attention to what's happening and still oversee that. And we do see people who just totally, you know, wash their hands of it and don't want to have anything to do with it. And I'm totally, you know, sensitive to what you're saying. You know, yeah. you've been there for nine, ten hours practicing dentistry. Like the last thing you feel like dealing with is this stuff. But you still have to know what's going on oh, in the front. And right. and the places and the practices that don't do that, man, it is a mess. You know, and it's yeah. not just this. It's so many other things. They're the same practices that have employee dishonesty problems. They have high turnover of, of, of their employees. It's because, you know, it's a failure to really run the show, yeah. you know, in, in, in an effective way, you know. And uh, yeah. and this really is, is one of the classic examples. I think, I think it is a good example. And you talk about this a lot, Paul, with, you know, it's hard when you're coming out of dental school, you know, you want to practice dentistry. Yeah. But when you become a practice owner or, you know, some kind of supervisory position, you also have to do the role of being an employer. And that's not something that you're taught in, in all, dental yeah. school. And I feel like that's also, you know, when you talk to people who want to acquire a practice, no one's top reason is that, hey, I want to be an employer yeah, right. and have to deal with HR I like to manage issues. little pieces of conflict all day long every day, but that's basically that's it. That's a great you know? point. Yeah. I had never heard that. <laughs> Paul, you have to start putting that out as like bait at one of your, <laughs> your pre-lecture questions. Yeah. Like, who wants to own a practice so that they can employ people? Yeah, you know, no, but, be, but the, I use this example, and I was using it at the boost camp this weekend. Uh, uh, Rob gave a great presentation. We had David Harris there, and, you know, not wanting to deal with managing people in conflict as a dentist is like signing up to be a firefighter and being mad that you have to fight fires. So it's like right. dentist, dental students just need to be aware that this is part of running a business, no matter what the business is. And to be successful, people say they dream of practice ownership, but it's perfect. They don't dream of refereeing fights over paper towels, but that's the life I lead. So, right. you know, it's, yeah. uh, uh, it's just important. And what's kind of using Rob's theme and our theme for the podcast about just being aware and purposeful about what you do. And Absolutely. it's so worth it to set up your employment handbook the right way in your practice because it's just just such an important tool that no one talks about yeah and it, it is a very important tool and I think part and parcel of that is that this also has to be an ongoing commitment 
to keep refreshing that handbook. Like we were referencing earlier, you can't just take this handbook, get it from some source, and then start handing it out to employees and never look at it again. That's how, again, you get yourself into trouble with it either being out of date legally or no longer reflecting your policies. Because obviously, as you put practices in place, things change. You're not always going to find out that what you did two years ago is still going to apply two years later. That's true. Could you just tell us a minute, uh, like let's say you're starting acquiring a practice or starting a practice and someone comes in and says, hey, I'm ready, you know, how do they build an employee handbook with you? Sure. So, you know, one of the first things that we need to do is obviously get a handle on where is this practice located and what are the laws that are going to apply to them. A lot of people, I think, misunderstand how employment law really works. And it's admittedly confusing because you've got law at the federal level, you've got it at the state level, and now you have it at the local level. And that's really a trend, these local Absolutely. laws that deal with with. Uh with employment issues, which is, was not the case, you know, even a few years ago. Yeah, this is something that we're seeing a lot of now that within the past few years, a lot of states and municipalities are now passing employee friendly laws, which is something that employers now have the responsibility to put their employees on notice of them and also implement them fairly. So a couple examples would be that Philadelphia has a mandated sick leave law. A lot of other states are doing the same thing. New Jersey recently passed one. New York has uh, one, at least in the city, in New York City level. Washington State has one. Uh, Chicago, Cook County has one as and, well. And tell me a little bit, what does that mean to an employer when they have mandated sick leave? Uh, because if I'm here, I'm going to get some free legal advice. And I'm just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Because so, I hear that part, but then I don't know what the next part means. Is that per day? I mean, is it like if you if we were if we were role playing this, you know, as I say, okay, I'm ready to do mandated sick leave. What does that mean? Sure. So mandated sick leave in most contexts, and I'll, I'll use Philadelphia as an example because it's pretty similar to what a lot of the other cities and states have done. It means that you know employees that work a certain number of hours are entitled to paid sick leave per state or local law, whatever the case would be. So in Philadelphia, um, it's something that would accrue based on the amount of hours you work, uh, and it could apply to a part-time employee or a full-time employee. Gotcha. And way to get around that also is a lot of these places allow you to front load that time where you could actually give them all of the leave up front at the beginning of the year if you don't want to have to go through the hassle of actually keeping track as they accrue it over time. So if it's something that's required by state or local law, then a lot of times you also have to tell your employees about it. You can't just assume that your employees are you know, reading the news or right. knowing what it is. So another example, Philadelphia, there are... Uh, you know, specific posters you have to hang up. Some states have, you know, specific forms or at least a type of information that you have to pass out to your employees to make sure they are aware of their their rights under the law. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I mean, that that's that's the one thing where sometimes it was your employer and you just want to you want to do the right thing or the things, but it's hard to even understand. It's not like the tax laws or other things that change a lot of times. And uh, how do you implement them? So that's, uh, if you, and sick leave is different than paid time off, I'm assuming. It can be the same thing. Some places will allow you to kind of do a, a full package of paid time off that you can use for sick leave, vacation, gotcha. whatever the case may be. But you obviously have to make sure that you're meeting those threshold of time if you're going to do it that way and set it up as a whole package and not allocated it to vacation versus sick time. Gotcha. But, you know, and so Paul's question was, you know, kind of what the process yeah. is to, to do this for somebody that's a new practice owner. And it's really, it is a process. And I think right. this is one of the classic examples of you get out what you put into it, you know, and we have clients that have been focused on really been committed to 
working through you know what they want this to be right and i think you need that kind of commitment it, it's a dose of a project for them there's no no doubt yeah. about it you know and these are not like five or six page documents right one thing that i know that i do in order to get started on this process with a client when they're ready to go down the path of getting a handbook set up the right way is that you know we will dive into not just legally what's required but it's also requires a bit of back and forth with the client to determine what are the policies and practices they have in place. Even if they're not currently in writing, like what do you typically do when there's, you know, a weather emergency and the practice right. is going to be closed? What do you do when, um, you know, a patient, somebody needs to call out sick or what are your dress code, things like that. Um, also coordinating with HIPAA and OSHA requirements as well. Uh, that's something that I know was talked about on the podcast recently as well. And it's important that you're office policies are also sort of addressed in the context of those other requirements that you have by law and that they're all on the same page and not conflicting with each other. handbooks, the uh, most exciting parts of owning a practice, right? <laughs> uh, I was going to say, how about, so when this handbook, let's say, we, let's say this document's made, and then one of the things, I mean, I, I've been through these challenges a few times in my career. Uh, how about the the reveal of the handbook to the team? What 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 format is that usually done? Like, you know, everyone gets pizza and we talk about this, or we I know I know the team members have to sign it, but it can't just be a sign here thing. What, what do you typically see your clients do with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that also depends a bit on the personality of the practice owner and how again how they set up that culture in the practice. I think a good way to do it is you know how you would do it, Paul, is kind of yeah. invite everyone everyone in and make this comfortable meeting where you you know present it as something that I'm unveiling this new handbook. My purpose here is to get everyone on the same page, set expectations, make sure that this answers all your questions about benefits and you know practices and policies in the office. Um, and you do want the employee to sign it and make sure that they acknowledge that they've received it, but also make clear to them that this isn't some kind of contract of employment. It's literally just a set of guidelines to get everyone on the same page. Gotcha. So I also think that, you know, to in the defense of the, the practice owners, yeah. right? That it's easy to have kind of a bad handbook from my perspective. Of course. You know, that it's sort of like the whole process is set up for you to get these handbooks that are templates that are prepared by payroll companies or other, you know, consultants that just basically deliver a document. Right. And the thing might be 70 pages long, maybe on it. I've, maybe I've definitely seen ones that length or longer, that's for sure. Yeah. And so somebody just hands you this like form. 70 some 80 page right. thing like you know nobody reads that yeah like i mean <laughs> yeah. i mean it's almost like i almost feel like you, you have to say like you're kind of crazy if you do right, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like you know once you kind of get this dumped on you it's like well here it is there's this false sense of security i've got my handbook right it was prepared by this you know company that does handbooks or does other things and routinely gives people handbooks and so therefore it's okay you know and and like like i joked before like you could somehow just kind of like put your hand over it yeah, and right. like it just transfers all the power into you and like it's magically you know, like yeah. implemented but you know it, it, that's really kind of where where the, the starting point is for most people and then i think you end up on it like kind of have to like work backwards from that like kind of screwy place you know yeah i totally agree and I, I you know i think this is something that i know rob feels pretty strongly about but i think it's very tempting to try and diy this it's something like you said where you could just get a form from the internet from a friend from a consultant from your payroll company and assume that it's in a great place especially if it's coming from some place that you pay for it you're assuming you're getting a good product but 
you know, you run that risk that it's not up to date legally, it, its policies are inconsistent. And if it's too long or too short, it might not cover all the things that you need or might have more in there than you're really willing to offer to your team. Yeah, well, that's a key yeah. too. Yeah. I, I, sorry, Paul. Having too much. Yeah. Right. right. So uh, tell our listeners what, what you're kind of referring to when you when you say that and uh, like give us an example of what too much detail sure. would be. Yeah. So I've seen these handbooks, like you said, that are upwards of 70 pages long. And in those examples, um, you know, one of those handbooks that I saw, it came from some payroll company and and it, it contained a bunch of policies that literally did not apply to the client. It referenced, you know, this very lengthy chain of command that just didn't <laughs> exist. This was a very small practice. And it was referring to like the management team and all that stuff when it's really like one dentist and, you know, yeah. a few. They, they didn't, they only had, you know, assistants and, and uh, front desk staff and everything like that. They didn't even really have much by way of a true office manager. So it was a small operation. It referred to things that didn't exist, such as um, the ability to engage in these sort of paid wellness programs that this <laughs> office clearly wasn't prepared to give. So, you know, not only is this handbook so big that nobody's really going to read the whole thing, and it was clear that you know, in that context, a lot of times the practice owner doesn't even read them because who has time to sit right. down and read a 75 page document. But on top of that, you're almost making promises for things that don't reflect what your practice does, or in some case, offering benefits that you definitely don't offer, which could just become an awkward conversation when somebody wants that. Or, or open you up for liability. Right. I, mean, I know we've had situations where We'll have a conversation with somebody, and they'll say, "Like I want to terminate somebody," and we'll, you know, ask them whether their what their handbook says, what the process is to to go through that, and they're like, "Well, I don't know." <laughs> yeah. know? Right. And then they can send us your handbook. We'll look at the handbook, and there might be this detailed, you know, process that you have to put them on notice, and then give them a certain amount of time to respond. And it's like, well, you know, if you don't follow that, then you really do leave yourself open for some kind of claim that you're not dealing with this person in a, in a fair way or that you're discriminating against them because you're the one that wrote supposedly, you know, air quotes, yeah. you know, have, have written this book. You but, but you never read the book that you wrote. Like you wrote the rules, but you've never read those rules, which is like really if you think about it in that you know, in that context, it's really kooky. And, and, and I can see because uh, someone who works, interacts with a lot of dentists, not bragging, but, you know, I interact with dentists <laughs> of all ages and stages. By the time a dentist is ready, it, and I, this, I, you know, I totally sympathize with the dentist. You know, we have such we have such skilled positions that we have to train ourselves. Literally, people just come to you and you have to train and be assistant that by the time you're ready to terminate an employee, you're usually like three or four months past when you should have done it. Right. And then you, you might have your attorney or someone do to you, well, you got to go back in and work with this person for a longer period of time right. to make this right. That's just a really difficult situation. So I encourage our listeners and dentists to just be purposeful like you guys say and that's why i think working with attorneys is like you know I, i've learned a lot just you know from meeting rob but i did think you would just work with an attorney when you bought your practice when you sold your practice the next 40 <laughs> years in between you're just not on your own so this is just a good example of having someone that you can check in with and say is this normal and um it's going to happen and it's a real ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure type of stuff because if dentists are listening and say, hey, think of that time where you didn't want to work with this person where we're working in close quarters with people. Sometimes they're causing problems with other team members that are toxic, as you guys see. And you guys might say to them, hey, you're not really in a good position here to terminate this employee based on your pre previous time. That should be the, uh, the scared straight to dentists out there to just, you know, get on board with it. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and then that kind of brings up the other issue, which is, you know, if you're doing a practice transition, you know, if somebody just bought, you know, acquired a practice, uh, and maybe they've inherited a practice that had sort of, you know, shoddy office policies, maybe they had a handbook, yeah. maybe it was a bad handbook, maybe they had no handbook at all. Uh, talk to the folks, Anna, about what, uh, what recommendations you make and what are some of the things that people need to be careful about if they're a buyer of a practice in that situation? Sure. I get this question a lot when I'm helping people when they've just bought a practice is, you know, I, I'm coming in and I'm realizing that these people that only work part-time have tons of paid vacation, for example, more than they should have. And it can be tempting to go in there and want to overhaul these things right away. But if you do that, you also risk sort of alienating these people that you really need to stick with right. you as part of the transition. So I don't think there's, you know, a hard and fast rule in this case, but I think best practices definitely suggest that you know, don't make too many changes too fast because you do risk scaring the people that you need to stick by you. And over time, you can start to evolve away from some of these policies that don't work or or a bad handbook that, you know, isn't what the practice follows, but that's not something to do too quickly and risk stressing everyone out and making people uncomfortable and ultimately wanting to find a new job. And then they're in that mode anyway when there's a transition. So I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of say, tell the coaching clients like if it's not illegal immoral or unsafe just keep with it you know i just recently had a great great guy who's took over practice he's like i don't want to pay the hygienist this i'm like you should he's like but i really don't want to i'm like i understand i heard that but you should and he did because you can't change too much on people who've been there for a long period of time but i think you can do it in a way that makes sense for you after you take over by doing these things but coming in on day one with a big you know new set of policies could just you know be difficult for a team to take when they're already going undergoing through a big change the dentist isn't there anymore right you know? right so. exactly and a, and a lot of times in these acquisitions too you'll have a staff that has been with this one person for a really long time so you know for them they might not have had a clear handbook or, or distinct policies but it never really mattered because nothing went wrong yeah. but when you have a new manager coming in it can definitely create some tension so you know one thing that i do when i talk to uh, new practice owners when we're getting ready to start working on their policies is is what focus on what policies we should keep in your new handbook, and then you'll eventually phase it out as part of that ongoing process of making sure that this handbook is idea. something you're committing to change over time. And you know, if you have to make certain changes, we can do that. But let's let's wait a few months, let things settle in, and then you know, when you're comfortable enough to start implementing new changes with the staff. Well, especially if you're if you're stepping into a situation that is a little dysfunctional right. or disorganized, at least in this regard, you know, if you can kind of provide the stability, give everybody the security, like, hey, it's going to be okay. And now all of a sudden you've changed the vibe in other ways that people might be happy working in right. this office. Then all of a sudden it's not as big of a deal to right. start to back away from some of that, you know, stuff that you don't like. Right. Because you've provided other things that are yeah. good and it makes it easier that they say, hey, I, I enjoy coming to work every day. And if the fact that I now have lost whatever, three you know paid uh, sick days yeah. or personal days uh maybe that doesn't really matter because i i like coming to work right you know yeah, and as opposed to you know day one hey everybody out there's a new shirt i mean this town. is just it just kind of theme of all pockets the same thing with seeing patients in a transition you know first time just do your best not to say anything other than things are looking good unless there's a big problem then once they start to trust you and know you they might do a crown two or three times in and that's just normal human human nature i was thinking as we were talking though you you know when and rob has helped me so much with listening to some great podcasts and audible maybe uh the uh law firm here you should start to offer um uh 
employee manuals like read by me, right? You know, like uh, <laughs> you're not going to be off this day, but get ready. It's the 4th of July. Get your sunglasses on. You're off. Because I was actually just thinking that in a real way. Like maybe maybe we should make some of these listenable because people there are always go. on their, uh, uh, their uh, AirPods and things like that. So yeah, we should po- podcast the handbook. Yeah. Hey, you know? there's some very famous uh, handbooks out there that do it in unique ways like Netflix. It's There's a video, I think, for Netflix. Yeah, we could do you that. Know, people get yeah. really creative. But that's it. But it's that to that point, though, and it's really it's about communicating expectations, and right. and you know how how you do that is, is there's no kind of only one way to do it, and 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 if you're engaged and focused on on really trying to communicate that message, you know that that's the important thing, not not the format. You exactly. Know? And, yeah, it's about like we said, kind of using this as one tool to build the right office culture, and then committing to revamp that and always improve on that over time. It's never going to be perfect, you know, the first time you do it, and you're going to find that these policies will evolve, and that's how it should be. And it sort of shows we're all in it together, including the owner. We're all in this together. And, you know, people say they want people held accountable. But sometimes I think they mean everyone but not them, right? I want her <laughs> held true. accountable, not me. But, but I mean, you know, it's kind of this, you know, I, I used to have one of my lectures. I would say you can't, nobody can yell at a piece of paper unless you're just not mentally stable. So, you know, it's like at least it's this thing that exists we can all look at, you know, right. that doesn't have a face and looks and rolled eyes and say, Hey, this is our thing. And I, you know, they, I, I weirdly enjoy the employee handbook time. I know that's not, but like, I just think it's great for holding everyone accountable, including the owner of the practice. For sure. And, and accountability. And, and it's just like, it's sort of, it's like, it's like the business plan. It's like redoing your website, yeah. you know, and, and as a, you know, a, a, an owner of a small professional practice myself, like it's hard to find the time and the bandwidth to do those things. But, you know, it's a great exercise when you actually sit down, focus on those thing and things and think about what do I want? What can I do to make this better? How uh, how can we run the office better? What are better policies? What are you know, what is our mission statement? How how are we going to convey that to our patients or our clients? You know, whether it's, again, uh, in a business plan, the, the website redesign being yeah. like the new you know, the 21st century version of, of redoing a business plan. But it's the same thing with, with these uh, with these handbooks, right, Anna? Absolutely. I think, like we said, it is an ongoing commitment. You can't just get the thing and put it out there and think that it's going to just work as it is. And I think it's a good process for uh, anyone who wants to put in a handbook is, you know, go through the process and then revisit it every few months, a year, every year or so when you can find the time to do it and look at these policies and then ask yourself what works and what doesn't work. If there's some way that we're currently, you know, expecting our employees to do something and we find that it's just too cumbersome or people aren't reacting well to it, what can we do to make this better? And I think that's a constant process for any business owner in person. And it's the true, I mean, in all the dental circles, I know you guys probably read The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, such a popular book. I've read it from when I was a resident and it's, it's the quintessential working on your business instead of in it, you know, right. and this is the time for dentists to just work on it. And, you know, I think it, I actually believe in, and Rob's right. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an investment of time and can be an investment of money, but I just think it's so worth it because, uh, it prevents so many future problems for yourself and it just gives you a resource and also gives that office manager something to have on on his or her side because you know it's sort of like if you know if i, if I had all the whole four-year-old classroom daphne school down here and be like hey you guys deal with them i'm out of here be like, what do they do what do they eat you know yeah. so like it's a uh, it's a resource so I, I think that's great yeah it's definitely a resource for the employees and the employer alike and it should always be treated that way it's cool well, Anna, thanks for uh, taking the time and coming to the other side of the wall in the <laughs> office in here. And, uh, you know, if people want to uh, reach out to you, uh, how's the best way to do that? Sure. I, um, I 
thanks for having me here, guys. And I was happy to talk about HR problems and employment handbooks. If anyone has any questions or wants to reach out about revamping a handbook or talk about HR problems, they can shoot me an email um, or give me a call. My email is Anna at rmontgomery-law.com. That's Anna with two N's, like in the movie Frozen. <laughs> and uh, always give me a call, too. Or, of course, if you forget that information, yourdentallawyer.com, yeah. right? You can, exactly. You can see Anna's uh, bio there. We're in the process of revamping our website. That's how I can use yeah. that example. But yeah. uh, uh, Anna's there, and you can uh, you can click on her, uh, her link and, and email her. So uh, thanks again, Anna. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Well, that was cool, Paul. I mean, once again, you know, you spend the time, focus on your business, and this is just one of those things that you need to pay attention to. Uh, otherwise, it could come back to haunt you. It's true. I mean, even though I, I even though I know I make a lot of uh, uh, jokes, I mean, it's a, the lease part, the handbook part, the ocean HIPAA part. I mean, these are just core uh, chips on your nacho plate of your business that you know they just don't tell you about in dental school. And you got to learn quickly. And, you know, especially we have so many great listeners wanting to get into practice ownership. This is just part of the deal. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, yeah, it's the sort of the, uh, what would you equate it to in the uh, in the workout? You know, it's like, it, it's not the most, the sexiest yeah, the stretching thing. part. You know, it's like, you yeah. know, if your trainer's like, you don't have to stretch. You're like, okay, I'm out of here, but you yeah. should. Yeah, because uh, if you don't, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, you're going to get hurt. Exactly. It's perfect. It's like that. And it's also like, you know, you and I have, have uh, spent a few Halloweens on Delancey Street when people see me and two girls dressed up and they think, oh, this is so great. You know, look at these girls dressed in these outfits. They didn't see all that went into getting there. And that's just like the practice, right? So when you're in your practice doing what you want to do, the dentistry, there's just a lot of things behind the scenes that you have to be purposeful about. Yeah. And this, this is definitely one of them. You just have to force yourself to do it, you know, as much as you may not want to. But I think sometimes this is like one of those those projects that it, it kind of leads to just just a little bit better understanding as to what you want and and, and where you're taking your uh your, your practice and your business. Yeah, but it's just a good time to sit and think about it and have a sounding board like an, a, an honor or, te- or an attorney to just say, hey, does this make sense? And there's a lot of times you have things and you've told me, Rob, that doesn't make sense and that's good to have a sounding board like that. Yeah, and, and, and keeping in mind the whole time that you know, if you have a practice and you have 12, 14, 15 people that are working there, that is really, they, they are crucial to the success uh, and, and the happiness of, of you as a practice owner and, and what's going on there. And, you know, the, your, your people, you know, are, you know, I'm going to say the most important part of, of your practice. Oh, very true. And they'll, they'll stay with you longer and be more uh, invested and engaged when you think you're, you know, doing things to make their lives better. And, you know, yeah. I think people like guidelines and uh, I just think it's a, another perfect piece to uh, adding to being purposeful and thinking about things in the right way. Yeah, right on. All right, man. Fun Thanks, as always. Right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.